welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Welcome to episode 121. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. Welcome to the show, folks. This week, I am so excited to be featuring an interview with Ellie Bosick Travato. She is a coach and courage expert, and she's joining me to talk about self-love, bravery, and following your heart, which are all such great topics during this Valentine's week. Ellie reached out to me to be on the show and it was such an immediate yes for me to have her on because I just love her outlook on choosing love over fear and how she has seen the many miracles of choosing love play out in her own life. She is the founder of The New Brave and she is a coach that focuses on helping women choose love over fear and live happy inspired lives. After she lost her husband and her father within two months of each other, and this was when her son was just a year and a half old, Ellie discovered the work of author Neil Donald Walsh. She dove into his teachings and writings, which you can find in Conversations with God, and she discovered that every word, thought, and action puts energy into the world, and that every decision we make is always based on love or fear. And she's going to share all about that in our interview in just a few minutes. First, before we get to that, I want to give you guys a big welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in and wish you a very happy Valentine's week. I am so excited that all of you are here. If you are new, Jumpstart Your Joy is a podcast that looks at people choosing joy in their lives, even when it's the hardest choice they'll ever make. If you're new to the show and you like what you hear this week, I encourage you to go look up Jumpstart Your Joy on iTunes, which is now Apple Podcasts, or Google Play Music, Spotify, Player FM are just a few of the places. And when you search for Jumpstart Your Joy, you can hit subscribe and then you will automatically get the new episodes downloaded to your mobile device each Tuesday morning when they are released. And if you are new to podcasts themselves, welcome. You are in for a treat as you explore this new world of podcasts. You can find um, instructions on the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com on how to subscribe to a podcast if that is new and you're not sure how it works. It's under the podcast's navigation point and then just select subscribe to a podcast. Also super excited, I have a brand new offering on my site that I put up just this last week. It takes me back to my roots of retreat planning, which is how my whole my blog writing journey began. One of my most popular series on my site is how to plan a retreat. And so to go along with that, I have created a retreat planning worksheet just for you guys. And it also will link you over to the series of posts on the site that will help you with the basics of planning a retreat. So if maybe you're a coach or a creative entrepreneur, if you work in anything to do with spirituality or religion, uh, I know a lot of people are interested in planning retreats and it really is so much fun to do that. And it's something I did for 11 years. I totally love it. It's, uh, yeah, it's just amazing <laughs> what can come out of a retreat and retreat work. 
So you can download this great worksheet to help you with digging in and planning and leading your own retreat, which you can find this all on the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com. Look for the badge or the button on the far right-hand side of the page that will say plan a retreat, and it'll walk you through how to get that in your... So without further ado, let's get on to this great interview with Ellie Basic Travato. Ellie, welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. Thank you so much. I am really excited to be here. Yay! (laughs) Well, would you like to tell us about what you loved most as a child? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Uh, The things that come to mind first are, I loved books. Like, because you could just escape into other worlds with books. So no matter what was going on in your life, like those brought me a lot of joy and they still do. I also loved playing on the trampoline. We had a trampoline at our house and that was really, really fun. And then something else that's just kind of a funny different one is that I loved riding my donkey. (laughs) We had a donkey and um, her name was Jenny and I would ride her to the neighbor's house where Jenny would get sugar cubes and I would get ginger snaps. (laughs) That is so wonderful. (laughs) And it was so funny because, you know, Jenny being a stubborn mule as she was, is, you know, she was not willingly going down the driveway when I was, you know, riding her. It was kind of like I really had to urge her on to leave the driveway. Mm -hmm. And then once she realized she was going to Mrs. Woody's house, she'd like trot away and be as happy as she could be. And then she'd go get her sugar cubes. And then on the way back, she'd be plodding along. And I'd be like urging her, urging her, urging her. And then finally, when she turned the corner into the driveway, she'd be like, oh, I know where we are. So she'd trot again. <laughs> I really had very little control over the proceedings, but it was it was definitely very joyful for me. Yeah. Oh, I feel like there's such a huge metaphor there too. Like often if you just jump into something, you, like you just said, you very, you don't have a lot of control over what happens, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's most the most joyful thing in the day. I mean, like- it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> if we can let go of that idea of being in control, that idea of certainty, you know, we want mm-hmm. certainty. And the more we hold on to certainty, the further afield we're actually going to be from joy. Yes. Yeah. And it strikes me too that It'd be easy to wish that Jenny the donkey was more like a horse. Yes. <laughs> but that we could let, <laughs> I love that we're already down this path, but that like allowing Jenny to be Jenny was part of the key as well. Like she's just going to do what she does. We're going to accept that. It's so true. It's so true. And of course there's the metaphor of being, you know, motivated by sugar cubes and ginger snaps. <laughs> mm, yes. Two of my bigger motivators. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I love it. I love Jenny. And what is it that you do now? I uh, am a lucky duck. I get to help women live more inspired, happier, and healthier lives through speaking, coaching, and writing. It's, it's been a lo- It's been a very circuitous route to get to where I am today. Uh, and I just, I love what I get to do. I love it. I love the ahas. I love the discoveries. I love the connections that women make that are in my tribe with each other and how they support and celebrate each other. It's just, mm. it's fantastic. Not to mention that, you know, then when I go off and get to do all the things that I love to do, the personal growth and development, I actually can turn around and make it part of my job that I incorporate everything that I learned. So that's also really cool. Mm, yes. Yes. Also, one of the key things that I love so much about podcasting is it's the connections and like you learned so much 
from having each conversation. The interaction points are really amazing to me. Yeah. Well, and I know the the audience out there loves to hear people's stories of how they get to where they are now. Mm. What was that? What was some of your, your journey like that led you to wanting to pick up the coach role, you know, after Jenny to, <laughs> to where you are now? <laughs> well, I won't go quite as far back as Jenny. Fair enough. I will say that probably the most... Uh, relevant part of my path was that I was a seventh grade English teacher and met and fell in love with my principal, if you can believe it, that was quite the thing. And ultimately we got married and about a year later, my son was born, our son. And then about a year later, my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, so that was an incredibly challenging time in my life. Um, he passed away about a year later, and that was two months after my father passed away. And what I ended up doing was I was so grateful for the people who had come forward and helped us through all those challenges. And I had been introduced to some resources that really changed the way that we looked at things. And I'm sure we'll end up talking about some of that later. Mm -hmm. Um but I wanted to create a wellness center in their honor and put those kinds of resources into people's hands and as, as basically a way to thank the community for everything that they had done for us. Mm. So I created a wellness center in the town that I live in, Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and it's called Uplifting Connections. It still exists. And then I had that for about six years. And ultimately, I wanted that to be a beacon for health and wellness for the community. And ironically, I was beyond stressed. <laughs> mm. I was, you know, a single widowed mom of a very strong-willed child. And I had this wellness center that really was asking of me a lot that was not in my A game. So where I love to be with people, I'm an extrovert, where I love to coach people and talk to people and would have loved to be out front all the time, connecting people with the resources that could really uplift them and change their lives. I ended up in the back office all the time trying to make the finances work and the scheduling work with all the different practitioners that I had. And it, I was the opposite of a beacon for health and wellness. So I ultimately uh, sold that and decided, you know what, the part of this that I love is that is that unofficial coaching that I've been doing. So I went out and I got certified to be a life coach and just decided this, this is what I want to do from now on. Like this is my A game and this is where I'm at. So um, it was, you know, uplifting connections, ironically was bringing me the opposite of joy and it felt like shackles around my ankles. Mm -hmm. And I was incredibly happy when I was able to, to sell it to somebody who I knew would take good care of it. And um, it's now moved into other hands, actually, and it still exists and it's doing beautiful things in the community. And I don't need to be sitting in the back office while it's doing those things. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Ooh. And there's so much in in your journey and story there that resonates and that like there's such wisdom and inspiration. I, I mean, I think it's interesting how some of the really hard things are often the things that then show us where we want to go next. And that's definitely you know, part of my own journey in, in even the birth of the podcast is how do I put that hope and inspiration out there for other people if they're looking for the thing that maybe inspires them to feel like they can go on and they can rebuild and they can, I don't know, find themselves anew. Yes. So. Yeah. I think that we can relate to each other on a lot of fronts <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the wisdom too of, of 
recognizing that this thing you loved so much is now hard and and not playing into your strengths. Because I think a lot of us go with that that noble idea of building something that is beautiful and wonderful, but then realize, ooh, this is different than what I thought it would be. Yeah, to me, that comes down to giving yourself permission to really be fully who you are. And I had a, I have a dear friend, Kathy, who was the one who was like, Ellie, this isn't what self-love looks like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I needed her to point that out to me. And as she did, it was like that, that understanding of like, yeah, oh man, I got to give myself permission to really take care of myself. And I remember there were times when I'd be sitting and I'd be super focused, like I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And she'd be like, but I'd be so stressed out, just feeling so overwhelmed. And she'd be like, Ellie, why don't you just like take a walk for a minute? And I'm like, I can't take a walk. I don't have time to take a walk. Yeah. And so, yeah, giving yourself permission to realize that like, all the rest of it, you're not going to show up as your best self if you don't give yourself permission to actually take care of yourself. But I look at it now as this sort of scale of well-being, and there's like negative 10 on the scale of well-being. And if you imagine it being a vertical line, and then there's zero in the middle, and then there's positive 10 at the top. And everything between zero and negative 10, like negative 10 is like the hijacked version of you. It is all fear-based. It is all what I call survive brain. It is the zone of survival where you are in reaction mode, where it the emotions are about fear, resentment, you know, jealousy, rage, depression, anxiety, worry, frustration, all of that is down in that zone of survival. And that's when our amygdala takes over. And it's really about fight, flight, or freeze. And we don't have available to us the best parts of ourselves. And so if we're down there swimming around in those depths, it's really hard to call forth our best qualities and to be giving our best gifts to the world. But when we do the work of being above that line of zero, that zero, you know, zero to 10. And at 10, I call that like the radiant you. That is you radiating the best qualities that you have to offer. And giving yourself permission to take the kind of care of yourself where you remain above that line. So if you take a hit, that hit might take you down a little bit you know, something big happens in your life, or there's a little ping or like, whatever it is, it might take you down a little bit, it might take you down a lot. But if you are doing the work to stay in that zone, and to really fill what I call your well of well being, then you will be in a place that you can handle whatever life throws your way. But it starts with permission to go back to the idea of permission, you've got to give yourself permission to to realize you're down the wrong road, to realize you need to take care of yourself, to like whatever permission it is, you got to give yourself permission or you will not be able to bring your biggest gifts to the world. Yes. Well, and it's so hard when you're in that place. So if you're there, <laughs> I don't know what we get stuck. And I know I've even been stuck in that place. Kind of like the moment you even mentioned, like, I don't have time to go take a walk. Yes. Um, it gets really hard to be there because you've got stories and in coaching lingo that means something that you believe to be true but may not be true that you're you're allowing to influence how you're going about in the world but right. you've got stories that are supporting that this thing is hard so i don't know what is, how do you see it as the best way to go about breaking through that kind of wall that one starts to build to then be kind enough to give them give yourself themselves whoever's listening the permission to to lean into then you know looking towards wellness 
That's uh, that's an interesting question. I think there's so many different pieces to that, but mm -hmm. like one of the really big pieces that I've only recently more fully understood because I'm doing a lot of work with Alison Armstrong right now, uh, who's a phenomenal woman who studies um, men and women. She started with trying to understand men better with the assumption of like, what if they're not actually misbehaving? Like, what if they're not, like when we're feeling ignored and when we're feeling X, Y, and Z, what if they're not actually misbehaving? What if we're just not understanding where they're coming from? And so she's all about this connection and building a bridge of understanding between men and women and the way that we all operate. And one of the things that I learned from her is that as women, we are absolutely wired externally to look outside of us for whether we're okay to look outside of us, to do things for people outside of ourselves that we wouldn't do for ourselves. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and I could see it play out in, you know, in my life and clients' lives, but like, yes, yes. So we often are looking for that per permission granted from, from external places, even though that's not really necessarily where it should come from. Exactly. So what so what I suggest is that you make sure you have, first of all, you're talking about a blind spot. Like if you're down in the depths and you can't even see your way out, you need people around you who, who are going to remind you of your light. That's one thing that's really important is the community, the tribe that you have around you. But then the other thing is to really honor the fact that like if we are motivated by external things to us, to really just take that to heart and be like, okay, well, let me be really clear that the version of myself that I am giving my son when I'm not taking care of myself is an entirely different version than what I'm capable of giving him when I'm at my best. So do I want to be showing up as patient or impatient for him? Do I want to be showing up as loving and generous and kind and compassionate? Those are all above that line in that scale of well-being. Those are not available to you when you're down below that line. And so when you understand that you are going to influence and impact the people in your sphere, especially the people closest to you, but even people rippling out beyond that, when you understand that, then it becomes really almost a, a like an imperative that you take care of yourself so that you can be bringing your best qualities to the table. Mm, yes. What you're kind of explaining there is it's it's feeding into and like leveraging the fact that we as women do take some of those cues from an external place, but then how do we make it an empowered move so that we're calling forth our best version of ourselves, even when we're taking the cue of like, I want to do better for someone, but it's also making me better as a person too. Exactly. Exactly. It's some, it's sometimes that sort of backdoor way that we give ourselves permission <laughs> to yes. do the things that we that we'll take care of ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a double, a little double trick, but yeah. <laughs> for the betterment of all. <laughs> yeah, I actually love one of Allison's stories, Allison Armstrong's stories, is that she had basically coached her kids as they were growing up. Like, if you want the patient, playful, loving version of me, then this is what I need to be in place. And I need X amount of sleep and I need to wake up. You know, I don't remember the story specifically, but let's say it was, I need to be able to sleep until seven in the morning. And one morning she woke up and she heard the kids like outside of her room. And like one of them was saying to the other one, shh, if you wait a little bit longer, we'll get the patient version of mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> What a gift, too. I mean, on both sides, that the kids get it. And then the, that mom, I mean, she was probably rolling as she heard that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. Oh, I'll have to look up Alison Armstrong. She sounds like a kindred spirit for sure. 
Yeah, she's awesome. You you talk a lot about and you've hinted at that area of choosing love and and or fear. And I don't know if you want to talk about a little bit more about how that plays into the line of wellness. I, I'm I'm betting that that is a really there's a there's a neat tie in there as well with choosing love or fear. Yes. Where I was first introduced to this concept of choosing love over fear is uh, it was kind of cool. It was actually after my husband's diagnosis and there was somebody who came briefly back into my life who was actually the ex-husband of one of my really great friends. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how he found out that John was sick. I couldn't even tell you how we were in touch, but he basically, it was like an earth angel. Like he came and visited and that was lovely to see him. And then while he was there, he said, have you read the book conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh? And I said, you know, I have it on my shelf, but I've never actually read it. I kind of kept putting off my sense of spirituality and all that. And he was like, you should pick it up. And then he disappeared off into the world. And that book changed my life. Like, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely no exaggeration. That book is the reason that I created that wellness center. It is the reason that I am okay today, uh, better than okay and thriving. It was, it was, it is a phenomenal resource. It's called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. I highly recommend you get a hold of it. Mm -hmm. um, Any of your listeners. So it is not a religious book. It's not trying to tell you what you have to believe. It is a very spiritual book that sets out some ideas that if they resonate for you will be incredibly empowering and and cozy and feel good for you. Um, they resonated deeply for me. And one of that those concepts was that every thought, word, and action that we put out into the world is actually energy. It's a form of energy that's that's emanating out from us. And it's always based on either love or on fear. It comes down to that. Like it really black and white, that's what it comes down to, love or fear. So every emotion can either be umbrellaed under under fear or under love. And when I realized that that was true, it changed my ability to handle everything that came my way because it was just it was then an, a very clear intention on my part. Well, if that's really what it comes down to, then I want to start training my brain to always choose love and to choose love in every possible instant. And so the the question that I came up with that I've used ever since then is what's the gift in this? So no matter what life hands me, I make an assumption that there's a gift in it. Even if I can't see the gift right away, even if it might take, excuse me, months or years for me to see the gift. I have a firm belief that the universe is working for us and that there will ultimately be a gift. Um, And so that's one of the ways that I choose love over fear. Looking at it from the kind of the line of wellness that you're talking about, I imagine and in my experience have, have read or whatever, but that like love is one of those higher resonating emotions. And obviously fear is one of the lower resonating emotions. So I'm, I'm imagining that as you choose love, you also are, you're kind of willing yourself above line of wellness is kind of where I was, was headed with that piece. Yeah. And that's a great point because one of the things that there are all kinds of forces that can kind of pull you down below that line and that can, that can pull you, push you up above it. And one of them is your conditioning and your conditioning creates your reality. Really? They now believe that by the time we're 35, I think it is like 90 to 95% of who we are is habit. So if you have conditioned yourself over and over to a state of anxiety, 
and depression and telling your story to yourself again and again and again, that you are anxious, you're worried, you're depressed, you're sad, and continuing to tell yourself the story and tell yourself the story and tell yourself the story. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that depression isn't a real thing. Don't don't get me wrong there. I, I, I had decades of depression and I can tell you that it's a real thing. But I can also tell you that we get addicted to emotions in part by what we do over and over and over. So I'm a firm believer that we have to deal with the emotions that come our way and that it is a matter of of bravery and nourishment for us to actually look those emotions square in the face and to deal with them when they come. But beyond that, it is also something that we want to do that we don't want to live in it. We don't want to keep telling ourselves the story that brings it back again and again. So we want to condition our brains by creating like super highways to happiness, to to the the feelings that we want to have. And so that's one of the things that I do with my coaching clients a lot is start really laying down the tracks to better feeling emotions so that that becomes the habit. And eventually that part of you becomes stronger and stronger. And that other part of you that kept going to those emotions that were not helpful, that was conditioned to those emotions, gets weaker and weaker. I was nodding completely <laughs> when you were talking about looking at it, looking at things and choices in life. Am I making this choice from a place of love or fear? Because many moons ago, I went through a divorce and kind of went through a similar thing where I was like, I feel like a lot of what I have been doing recently back in that time was making decisions based on fear. Like yeah. it was things had become fearful. And so I read Power of Intention by Wayne Dyer. Love. Which- that was that was the book I was reading when I started my wellness center. Oh, is it? Oh my goodness. Of course. <laughs> I love that I just said that. I had a sense that it was like, cause you said intention with those two words. Um, but that, and I think he talks about choice of love and fear in that book as well. And, and that just became my touchstone. Interesting that you said, what's the gift in this? Mine was just, is this coming from a place of love or fear? And if I could answer love, then I'd go with it. If I answered fear, then I'd be like, okay, I got to check myself what's going on here. And I didn't even really think about it, but that I was rewiring myself. So um, yeah, I never even thought of that being as like necessarily a practice or what would be behind it. Just knowing that I felt my entire self change as I yes. went through that process of relooking at everything. Um, well, and the tricky thing is that our brains are actually set up to remember the bad stuff more than they are to remember the good stuff. So it is a conscious act of human spirit to continually be making a choice to go in the happy direction. Because if you think back, and you may have read something similar to this, like if you think back to when we were in the caveman times, was it more important that we remembered where the poisonous berry bush was, where the scary mastodon or whatever that we had to get away from was, or and basically where the threats were, or was it more important to remember like how fun it was to see our children running around and playing? So survival wise, it was more important to remember the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that our brains are developed. And if left to their own devices, um, that's the direction that we'll go. And so for me, it is a constant nourishing process. It's a constant very conscious choice to be inviting in the things that inspire me, that make me feel good, that build up that part of my brain and that part of the conditioning in my brain. Um, And it's, you know, it's incredibly hard when you're faced with something like a divorce or an illness or a death or all of those things. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, 
those are hard. Those are hard, hard, hard. Um, and then they also give you the opportunity. It sounds like that was an opening for you to realize this love versus fear paradigm. And my husband's illness was an opportunity for me to realize that paradigm. And we both through those challenges learned how strong we are and what we're made of. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that life is always easy, because I certainly don't want to paint that picture. Oh, um, no, no. <laughs> both those are clearly events that would rock you to your core. You know, I, at the time, it was for sure the hardest thing I'd ever been through and, you know, brought up questions of, you know, what goodness and worthiness and questions of, you know, have, have I let down God? I mean, that was even one that I struggled with. I'm like, you know, I made a vow in front of God. Does this mean I'm letting that entity down? Like that's huge stuff to wrestle with. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, it definitely is not easy, but I love that, that then through it, both of us also, I, I mean, clearly the thing I was after is, is what is the gift in this? Yes. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that in the conversations with God book and the series that, you know, God in those books is really represented as not this judgmental, vengeful, mm -hmm. like he's going to be pissed at you if you get a divorce. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that, that's not what he's about. He, she, it, however we think of it. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I, and that resonates for me. I, I don't, I don't buy that like, what would God have to be pissed about? Like, God is God, like, mm -hmm. you know, all seeing, all knowing. And um, yeah, so it's interesting how we can contort ourselves and how religion in many instances has encouraged us to judge ourselves harshly. When mm -hmm. in my belief system, you know, judgment is one of those really those energies that pulls you down on that scale. So we do something that we regret then we judge ourselves for it. We spin ourselves into shame. And suddenly we're on like this, you remember shoots and ladders? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Like we hit this ladder that takes us all the way down to the bottom of that scale. And it's the judgment. It's that spiral of shame. It's that spiral of, of self-hate that takes us down there. Uh, and so it's really important that we figure out ways to arrest that fall down the chute. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's so interesting that the spirituality or the religion or whatever it is that maybe someone's background is. And I'll say that it's interesting because background wise, I'm Lutheran and that wouldn't, you know, I, I don't know that that group tends to see God as a transactional God, which is how I've, those are the words I use now for that God where we think like there's somehow checks and balances and we have yes. to whatever atone. I, I don't, I don't believe or buy into that at all, but somehow I think there's a message in there too of if you feel like your religion is is um, giving you proof points as to why you should start to get into that shame space, like I think you need to give yourself permission <laughs> to revisit then is that really a religion? You know, is that is that truly what you believe? And, you know, I, I, th I think we all get a little bit stuck in those places when our upbringing, I don't know, it kind of points to this place of, we should judge ourselves or that maybe like you were saying that maybe a, an, a deity is judging us for these things. It gets into really weird territory. It does. And it's such a diminishing territory. And I mm -hmm. just find it really hard to imagine that any sort of divine would want to diminish us in any way. Totally um, agree. Yeah. And I'm, if people are curious about other Christian ways of looking at that, not of the, 
diminishing, but of a God of abundance. One of my favorite books um, is the wisdom Jesus by, um, Oh, I'm not going to get this right. I've got the wrong name, name hitting me, but it's a really, really amazing book about how it's Jesus was inspired really by Eastern theology and it's, love pouring out love on top of love on top of love and there isn't anything diminishing about it and so mm-hmm. you know anyway <laughs> i, no, I sense you and i could dig in on this one for like another whole episode <laughs> yes probably true probably true <laughs> Ugh, yes um well if so let's talk about love and self-love and i i know we're gonna we're gonna be live in the week of valentine's day with this so how do we build up that um, that ability to show ourselves love and to be in a place where we are open for relationships that are loving and kind and, and probably ultimately what we all desire. Mm. I recently took a look at self-love and actually broke it down into stages to seven different stages because I have so many clients who come to me and say, you know, I don't love myself. I don't have confidence. I don't love myself. I don't have self-esteem, all of those different things. And Mm -hmm. I started looking at it and thinking, you know, people have it sort of um, as if it's a, a mountain of like, I'm not at the top of that mountain. Like, I, I don't love myself. And it's like, well, how on earth do you even start? Because it feels so big. It feels gargantuan. Mm-hmm. Like that you have to go immediately from what may very well be a place of self-hate to a place of self-love. And so I put together the stages because I was like, you know, there's actually different waypoints on the way to that ultimate expression of self-love. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's an easier way to approach it. Of course, and and we can talk about what those stages are. And of course, if you don't love yourself, it's going to be uh, challenging for you to really fully embrace the idea that you deserve to be around somebody who is loving and honoring of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so self-love is to me a really important, I mean, really, really important. Like it all kind of stems stems from that place. If we are loving ourselves, if we are filling up our own well, if we are in a really abundant feeling place, then we can be all of those qualities of being that the world needs. And if we don't, then we're coming at any relationship from a deficit and almost like a gimme, 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 like give me some love, give me some love because I've got this emptiness that I need you to fill. Mm, And honestly, that's not anybody else's job. The only way that everybody's going to be okay is if we all take responsibility for filling up our own selves with self-love. And then we give from the abundance that we have and that we're able to love other people. But no matter how much I love my son, for example, if he doesn't develop his own self sense of self-love, he's never really fully going to be able to feel all of the love I'm giving to him because there's going to be a part of him that's wondering if he's deserving. Mm -hmm. So I think the best thing that we can do is to model for people around us to fill ourselves with self-love and to model that for people around us. And there's a difference between self-love and um, selfishness. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, and and everybody's line is probably a little bit different there, but, but for me, it's, it's, it's filling your well enough 
that you know that you have something to give. It's not an excuse to every day in every situation be like, yeah, no, no, I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of myself. Got to take care of myself. It's to make sure that you are taking care of yourself enough that you are filling up your well and that you are in a place of abundance and that you are feeling good. I think the best thing that we can do energetically, you know, if you look at quantum theory and the idea that we're all particles and we're all part of a wave, the quality of the wave is determined by the quality of the particle. And so the quality of the wave is, you know, we're part of a wave of pod, a podcasters community or people who listen to podcasts. We're part of a community of the people who live in our house. We're part of the wave of the people who live in our town, the people who live in our country, all of that. The wave, the quality of that wave is dependent on the quality of the particles. And so it's our job basically to love ourselves. And then what we, then what we will call forth um, is completely different because we will be at a higher vibrational place that from which we see and feel and draw other higher vibrational experiences and people. So it's incredibly important on Valentine's Day week or any other week. And on mm -hmm. Valentine's Day, if you don't have a sweetheart, um, give yourself a present. Mm -hmm. You want to be your own best friend. And I have a whole like that. That's a bunch of what I do inside my 90 day transformational program is talk about like self-love and how do you go through all those stages and how do you get to that place where you have that ultimate expression of self-love? Um, and the way I define self-love is it, it what it looks like is someone who celebrates their strengths and has compassion for their blind spots and their weaknesses. It looks like accepting that you're human and that you're not expected to be perfect. And all the way at the top of the stages of self-love, there's the kind of self-love that makes you feel comfortable fully expressing who you are and sharing your gifts without apology with the world. Mm. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, there's some there's some phrase that I don't even know where it's coming from, but something about kind of loving unapologetically. And that doesn't mean like individuals, just but like really embracing the entirety of who you are and like just showing that to people. Yes. And I think once that happens and you're out there, it's amazing. Probably, I, I think this is more Wayne Dyer stuff, but like the, you're a match vibrationally for other people who do that. And so you bring them into your sphere and then, yeah, you light up the sky. <laughs> exactly. No joke. I really think that. <laughs> I do too. Oh, I do too. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's amazing what happens when you just start to say yes to sharing that part of you or, or, sharing your gifts or just being comfortable with saying, I, you know, I love who I am and I'm, and I'm okay here. Um, yeah. And yeah. for me, the, the first stage of that self-love, like if that feels, if your listeners are like, oh, I don't, how do I get to that place where I love myself? Mm -hmm. The stages that I have um, defined are that the first stage, and I'll talk about, I'll talk more, a little bit more about the first stage and how to get there. But the first stage is self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. The next one up from there is self-kindness. The next one up from there is self-awareness. The next one up from there is self-responsibility. The next one up from there is self-compassion. And then above that is self-appreciation. And then the final one is self-expression. Mm. And so to me, those each have higher and higher degrees of frequency and they each encapsulate all of the stages that came before that. And so if we start with the idea of self-acceptance, We've all done things that we regret, mm -hmm. all of us. 
I, I can't, I've never met anybody who was like, yeah, I got it all down. Like I've done this human thing perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, but to accept that we've done whatever we've done, it's helpful for me to look at it that when, uh, when I've made the mistakes that I've made, that I look at those and I say, and this is, this is what, this is what I'm going to suggest to your listeners that they write down that you said that you witness, okay, I did something that I regret. And then you catch yourself before you go into that spiral of shame that would take you down that ladder. And you say, I am human. That is how I showed up in that moment. It is not who I am when I am at my best. And then picture yourself, you know, where you are on that scale, because if you're down below zero and you're in survive brain, all bets are off because in survive brain, it's about survival. Mm -hmm. And each man for himself or each woman for herself. Yeah. And so if you can just literally look at whatever you did and say, I'm human, that is how I showed up in that moment. It is not who I am when I am at my best. Then that frees up your energy. It arrests that, you know, you going down that chute mm -hmm. and it, and it frees up your energy to then focus on, all right, how do I fill my well of well-being again? So I don't keep making choices like that. Because that judgment is ironically what's going to take you down to that place where you're going to keep making those choices that are not from your best place. Yes. Yes. And if you can say, I accept this and now it can, it can rest, <laughs> then yes. you can move on at least from that place of having it, it be settled. Um, yeah. And then the trick of just not letting your own brain go back to it and continue to relive it and continue to tell yourself that story. Like you're saying the spiral of it, that you were a bad person. This proves that you were a bad person, you know, because I think it's so easy to get into that place. And in some ways, like you, I mean, like you were saying, sometimes this is, becomes habitual. It almost feels comforting to know you can get into that place of self shame and it's a place you can go to. And it, I don't know, it's familiar. And so rising up into the acceptance level of it, of that's who I have been and that is who I was in that moment, but that's not all of who I am is um hard and beautiful in the same in the same breath. Yes. <laughs> mm. It's hard. It is. <laughs> yes. Um thank you so much for sharing the the seven uh stages because I think it's it's also really it's really cool to see that there are different layers of it because I, I think what self-love is kind of a charged term. And it, like you said, it does feel really big. And how do you get there all in one moment? And it's almost, it's always a reset. And you probably are at any number one of those stages, like any, at any given day, it's different. Right. And the more you can stack on examples of, for example, self-kindness, the more that becomes who you are. And so that becomes the new foundation for where you are. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know, ideally you don't sink below that again, but if you do, you know how to quickly get back to it because you've laid down tracks in your brain of like, this is what self-kindness looks like. Um, and it's also a way for people to win more quickly than they thought they could like, okay, I don't love myself. I can't imagine how I could love myself, but, oh, could I imagine that maybe I could accept myself as human? Well, yeah, maybe that feels doable. And so then, then you're, you're on your way. Mm, yes. Mm. Well, if somebody is curious about kind of 
the the framework for this. I know you mentioned that you do some of this work in your 90-day program. Would you like to tell us about that um, and how it works? I would love to tell you about that. So I have a 90-day program, and we're about to start wave four of that program. And depending on when your listeners are listening to this, um, we may be in there. There's going to be four days in which the shopping cart is going to be open. Um, and so if they're, if this sounds at all interesting to them, I would recommend that they just email me directly so that we can get them in there as quickly as possible if there are still spaces available. Um, and so the, my email address, by the way, is Ellie, E-L-L-I-E, at thenewbrave.com. That's T-H-E-N-E-W-B-R-A-V-E.com. And what the program is all about is... Essentially, when you're looking at the way to create lasting change, there's the the mechanics of it, like what do you need to do if you want to release weight, if you want to do better with your finances, if you want to be more organized. There's the mechanics of it, and if you want to have better emotions, like there's the mechanics of it. But then there's the who do you need to be to continue to make the choices consistently that will create that reality in your life. And so the 90 the whole idea of the 90 day program is that it's really important first of all to build a community so that you have people around you who support what you're doing. They're like-minded, they speak the same language, they understand the same ideas, they're interested in being inspired and living inspired lives. We don't always have that around us in our day-to-day life. So In the 90-day program, we create that sense of community. It's all done inside a private Facebook group. And I'm on um, video live four days a week. And I literally will give, you know, a coaching um, nugget for the day and then potentially some homework. And over the course of the 90 days, then there's also some Zoom calls where we get to know each other that way. We post regularly inside the group. It becomes the sisterhood, which is amazing. And when we're looking to create new ways of being, one of the things that they know is that when you're not strong enough to do it for yourself anymore, life comes at you too fast and all of a sudden you had a great habit of going to the gym and now you, it, it just falls by the wayside, you will more likely hold on to it when you have something bigger than you that you believe in, that you're part of. And so that's part of why that community sense is really important. And so um, what we do in there is basically whatever anybody wants to work on. So we work on, okay, you set the intention for what it is you want to create changes in in your life. And for a lot of women, it has to do with health, but not for everybody. It could be creating a yoga practice. It could be releasing weight. It could be, you know, as I mentioned, finances, organization, anything that you want to make changes with. And so you set the intention at the beginning and then throughout the entire program, you're learning things that help you become the person who just makes those choices day in and day out that rise you to the level that you want to be at. And we call it the my body and life adventure for a reason. You know, adventures are filled with twists and turns. It's not a straight path and like you know, if you fall off in two weeks, then you suck and you're done. It's like, you know, there's twists and turns, life is going to happen. And I wanted to create a program that was long enough that you had a chance if you needed to, if life came up and you fell by the wayside that you could, you know, pick yourself back up and jump back on. It's, you know, it's all about self-love. It's about creating habits. 
I just, I feel really lucky to do what I do. And I would love it if anybody feels like they want to hear more about it, if they email me at ellie at thenewbrave.com. And I'd be happy to let you know if there's still spaces available and give you more information about how it works. Um, but they also can just go to thenewbrave.com and sign up for, we've got a free mini course on, on five habits that happy people have um, and, you know, all kinds of great content right on the website. Yes. Yes. And I will link up to that in the, the show notes. Let's jump into our last couple of questions. Um, I love that you mentioned resistance as part of your program. Where have you seen resistance come up in your life and how have you overcome it? Oh, resistance comes up every day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Resistance has so many different forms and disguises, um, you know, procrastination being one of them. And so actually one of my techniques for uh, overcoming resistance is that I literally just call it out. And, you know, if you let, oh, I'm sorry about that. If you let resistance win, then resistance will get stronger. It's like you're letting it go to the gym. Uh, and instead, if you reassert your commitment and you let commitment win, then commitment is what grows stronger. And so I'll call out resistance. As soon as I notice it, I'll write it down on a piece of paper and I'll be like, you know, I see you perfectionism. That's one form that it can take, or I see you procrastination. I'll write it down on a piece of paper. I'll crumple it up and I'll throw it away and I'll take an immediate action in the direction that I want to be moving. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Cause once you've kind of shed the light on it. Resistance has a hard time hanging out. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. And you're That's like, you're not, you're not getting bigger muscles. No, thank no. you. <laughs> no, it's, you're onto it. Um, or once it knows you're onto it. Yes. Um, and then last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? So um, one thing I would say is to pay attention to the magic moments in your life. We have magic moments happening all the time and we let them pass us by. And if we don't notice them, then we're missing an opportunity to, first of all, feel the happiness in that moment. And second of all, to be laying down the neural pathways in our brain to happiness, because the more we notice the, the, those little things, and it could be seriously like the snuggly softness of your dog's fur. It could be the color purple juxtaposed against the color yellow in your garden. It could be you know, the fun of, you know, sometimes I'll create magic moments on purpose. Like my son was on the floor one day snuggling with the dog and I had an armful of really warm laundry and I just rained it down on top of him. Mm. So create and pay attention to magic moments is my first one. The next one is to create a daily practice that fills your well of well-being or your wow, as I call it. And the daily practice can be any one of a number of different things um, that you design your own way. It's one of the things that I do in my 90 day program is that I, is I teach them specific daily practices that I use and that I recommend, but you for sure want to start the day. You want to bookend the day with some form of daily practice that grounds you and centers you. It's like pushing the reset button. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I meditate. It doesn't have to be meditation though. It could be as simple as you write down a vision for the way you want your life to be a year from now, and you read it and feel it every morning. Mm -hmm. One thing to make really sure that you're not doing is rolling over in bed and picking up your phone and checking Facebook and your email. That's a bad idea. Guilty is as that... charged. <laughs> What'd you say? I said guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. And I get that. And so many people are, and I used to be myself. But the truth is that's when you're still really close to that, you know, subconscious state. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's not, you're suddenly like, I mean, Facebook on any given day can make me feel like a million dollars or make me feel like nothing. Mm-hmm. And yes. so do you really want to hand that over to the gods that be in Facebook? <laughs> yes. And um, so, so I'm, I'm just saying, you know, give it an hour or two. That's your own time and your own place to get yourself back to center. When I wake up in the morning, I put my hand over my heart and I say, good morning, beautiful. Mm. And I strongly encourage that people do that. And if you're not comfortable saying good morning, beautiful, say good morning, sweetheart, something like that. And then when I go to bed at night, the last thing I do, I have other practices that I do at night, but I know we're running out of time. So I put my hand over my heart and I say, um, may peace and love fill my heart tonight and my dreams guide me to higher wisdom. I love it. But I like bookend my day with being nice to myself that way. And then the third thing is pay attention to what you feed your brain because you're feeding your brain all the time. And if you're sitting there watching the news endlessly, you're feeding your brain everything that's happening on the news. And if you, on the other hand, decide that you want to feel inspired on a regular basis and you pick up a Wayne Dyer book or you listen to a fantastic podcast like Jumpstart Your Joy, um, your listeners probably know this or they wouldn't even be listening to this, but you've got to feed your brain the good stuff because you're creating the neural pathways in your brain with what you focus on. So super, super important. All of those things will jumpstart your joy. Thank you so much, Ellie. It has been such a treat to have you on today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, let's do this again someday. Yes, (laughs) I would love that. Thank you, Ellie, so much for joining me this week. I am so glad that you have been on the show and it was just such a treat to get to meet you. If you are listening and you want to find out more about Ellie and how to reach her, you can find the show notes for this particular episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 121. And I will link up there to Ellie's website and her Facebook groups and to the books that we both referenced as we spoke through this. While you are at the site, be sure and check out that retreat planner worksheet, which will give you a great basis to start planning your retreat if you work with people and you've done some group work it's so much fun to get those people that you love connecting with together you know face to face in in real time (laughs) to have them explore some of the things that you know you may already be teaching it's really a lot of fun to plan a retreat so you can find the link um, from the homepage at jumpstartyourjoy.com and next week on the show You guys, this is such a wild, joyful treat. I am so excited to have Amy Smith of The Joy Junkie joining me. (laughs) She also has a podcast called The Joy Junkie. And I mean, really having two people who love joy as much as we do talk, it's just so much fun. Uh, She and I are talking about boundaries, kindness, finding joy, and even more about joy. (laughs) And I know you aren't going to want to miss it. So I know you'll want to come on back next week to catch that interview with Amy. And until then, may your days be filled with so much joy.